Greetings and welcome to Karma Light Conversations. This is Francis Harry. You know, we're living in difficult times. We've all experienced it. The whole world has really gone through something huge. And so what do we do? And of course, we know we turn to God in prayer. And as apostolic contemplatives in the secular order of discalced Carmelites, we turn to God in contemplative prayer. But we also have a responsibility to do all that we can to dispose ourselves to union with God and so that our prayer will touch more souls through God, in God, and with God. Deacon Mark Danis um, gives us a homily today and tells us some ways that we can help in this call to reparation. And he also brings our attention to uh, something that... uh, Sister, now Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity, said about a single eye, which I think is very important, and this unity with God. Also, he brings up the golden arrow prayer of Sister Mary of Saint Peter in the golden arrow book. And so I want to encourage you to pick that up and the devotion to the holy face. um, Anyway, I turn you over to Deacon Mark Danis. And for his words of wisdom that will help us in this challenging time to pray and to pray in reparation. God bless you. A new employee came to work at St. Vincent recently. He took on a very significant job. And a couple of weeks into his tenure, I saw him in the hallway. He's a very faithful Catholic. And so I asked him, I said, how is it going? He said, let me tell it to you this way. I called the church that I was in as a child, and I asked them if they could locate the documents pertaining to my confirmation. The secretary put them on hold, and she came back a few moments later. And she said, why, yes, we do. We have your records. We have them right here. Where should I send them? He said, oh, no, no, it's not necessary for you to send them. He said, I took on a new job recently, and it's been going so difficult. I just wanted to actually document the fact that I received the Holy Spirit at confirmation. (laughs) Fifty people die in a tractor trailer in Texas. Seven people die in a bloodbath in Chicago on the 4th of July. Monsignor Javier Herrera Corona, the Vatican's unofficial representative in Hong Kong, upon his departure a few weeks ago from his assignment, said, and I quote, change is coming. You better be prepared. A spokesperson clarifying Monsignor's comments said, Hong Kong is not the great Catholic beachhead it once was. Difficult times are coming. Following Roe v. Wade, numerous churches and pregnancy centers are vandalized, and our Lord is sorely offended. We live in difficult times. These are not the worst times in history, but there are times. We are contemplatives, yes, as Carmelites, but we're also apostolic contemplatives. How do we combine these two charisms? What are we as Carmelites to do in response to the times in which we live. 
I will warn you ahead of time that this homily is nothing short of a call to arms. Where do we begin? I'd like to begin with the readings at Mass this morning. I find that's usually a good place to start. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, and I won't read all of the readings, but I'll give you a flavor. For this command that I enjoin on you today is not too mysterious and remote for you. It is not up in the sky that you should say, who will go up in the sky to get it? Who will cross the sea to get it for us and tell us that we may carry it out? No, it is something very near you, already in your mouths and in your hearts. You have only to carry it out. Of course, the author of Deuteronomy is speaking about the need to fulfill the commandments of God. This is a siren song for contemplatives. Living the commandments is not merely action. It's a state of being. The commandments are the forerunners to the Beatitudes, which we understand to be a disposition, a state of being. Our first act is one of obedience. Teresa of Avila would tell us that. And that obedience is for us to purify ourselves and to unify ourselves first singularly. Our current condition is that we are scattered even within ourselves. We are divided in many ways. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity describes it this way when she refers to the Lord's comment from Matthew 6.22, where he says, If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Elizabeth describes this single eye as simplicity of intention, which in her words gathers into unity all the scattered forces of our soul and unites the spirit itself to God. We do this most especially in contemplative prayer. Not a prayer merely for salvation, but a prayer to make ourselves perfect. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, if that's all we had to do, the price of glory would be relatively inexpensive, wouldn't it? I don't know about you, but I'd gladly give away everything I possess in this world if it would avail me heaven. I think our Lord's standard was a little bit higher. You see, to give away everything we have means to literally give away our will. It's really the only thing we possess. It's the only thing we're in control of. Everything else can be taken away from us. Everything else can be given away. Our will we possess. Our second reading is from Colossians 1, 15 through 20 this morning, and it describes where all of this leads, this giving away of ourselves. Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him we were created. All things in heaven and on earth were created. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, you get the point. It's everything. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in, in, in all things he himself might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell. Here's the critical phrase. And through him to reconcile all things for him. To reconcile all things for for him. Recall the verse from Elizabeth. We are scattered within ourselves. If we are to be united with Christ, we must first unify ourselves. This is a call to give away our will. 
As we become progressively more united within ourselves, we likewise progressively become more united to Christ. Another interesting story from my experiences in the shelter, we do adoration there most days of the week, no less than four. And there's a young woman, I won't give her name because some of you might meet her someday, but she has begun to attend the adoration. She's very faithful. She stays for the whole hour. She's not Catholic. Many of the people in shelter are not. But she went away for a number of months to a spiritual uh, renewal, regeneration center, not far from where we are in our shelter in Dayton. And she had a bit of a disillusioned experience. She came, and after a few weeks of sitting for an hour, staring at the monstrance, she asked me one day what it was I was doing. She was referring to what we're doing here. And I find it almost hard to get these words out from a woman who is not catechized. She wasn't particularly well-read. She's not in any way exposed to the lexicon that we as Carmelites are. But she asked me this question. Looking at the monstrance, she said, is that the light of the world? John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. This young woman then followed up with this other question. She said, does everything converge into that light? I don't know that I've heard many better explanations, certainly not from my own mouth, as to what the glory of the Lord is as he sits before us in the monstrance. The light of the world where everything converges. She said to me, as I sit here, I feel as though I'm becoming a different person. Overcoming years of addiction, bad relationships, you can imagine the story. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our Lord in the monstrance has power that we can't even imagine and that people with far less understanding than we have can articulate in ways that are certainly clearer than what I can articulate. Every thought, word, and deed must begin and must be Christ-like. St. John from the Dark night. I departed from my low manner of understanding and my feeble way of loving and my poor and limited method of finding satisfaction in God. This was great happiness and sheer grace for me because through the annihilation and calming of my faculties, passions, appetites, and affections, our young lady in the shelter had many of them, I went out from my human operation and the way of acting to God's operation and the way of acting. I became a different person, finally from the gospel. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think a question that many of us would like the answer to. Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the young inquirer, wanting to justify himself, went on. And who is my neighbor, he said. This is actually asking the question that relates to a third measure of union. The first is ourself, the second to Christ, the third to God. 
1 John 4.20 says, Those who say, I love God, and despise their brothers or sisters are liars. But those who do not love a brother or a sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so as a final twist in my homily, I'd like to give you a different perspective than what you probably heard in the homily that you listened to this morning or last night perhaps in Mass and say to you that the Samaritan is actually you and the victim is Christ. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, take care of him. You know the rest of this story. We know the wine is for suffering. And what we willingly endure in our life will redound to the benefit of the body of Christ. Our sufferings have power today like in no other day. Whatever you are bearing in your life is a source of grace, but it is also a source of healing. But what about the oil? In addition to healing, which is a property of oil, it also represents the Holy Spirit, what the world is most in need of today. And certainly this includes our prayers, our sufferings, but also our calling down the spirit of truth. I have two challenges for you today. The first is that we begin to pray vigorously that priests will begin to speak the truth from the pulpit. It is one of the things that has been lacking in our church for the last many years. And I don't mean to be all collective or hypercritical. I read an article to this effect and I agreed with it. It was written by a Monsignor who said, We are in the situation we are in because we have abandoned the truth, and that's because there's no one to speak the truth. That must come from the Holy Spirit. The oil also represents the healing that we must infuse into the wounded and broken body of Christ. And yes, I mean the person of Christ. The oil must represent our response to the outrages and attacks on our Lord in the form of vandalism and distortion of the truth with regard to our relationship with him, which is called blasphemy. We must practice reparation. Our Lord is the man who is beaten on the road, and it is up to us to heal him. From a book which I suspect many of you are familiar with, and if you're not, I would encourage you to look it up, The Golden Arrow, our Lord's spoken to a French Carmelite, uh, Sister Mary of St. Peter, To whom shall I address myself in these times, if not to a Carmelite, whose very vocation obliges her unceasingly to glorify my name? He's talking about the institution of the acts of reparation. Her response, while this was taking place, I felt my soul entirely lost in God. And simultaneously, I was overcome by awe as our Lord made me realize the meaning of the words spoken to Abraham, that there could be found at least ten just souls, God would spare the guilty cities for the sake of those ten. It also seemed to me that for the sake of those who would would practice reparation for the sins committed against the majesty of God, his justice would be appeased and he would grant mercy to the guilty. It is time for contemplatives to begin a serious program of reparation to our Lord's holy face. Like every good Jewish mother, 
Mary wants to make sure that her son gets a good spouse and enters into a good marriage. We are that spouse. In response to what some have characterized as what will be the summer of rage, I would like to call upon us Carmelites to respond with the summer of reparation. My wife and I have already begun this, daily recitation of the golden arrow prayer and other elements of devotion to the holy face. Time and adoration is a perfect opportunity for this. And if you want more information on it, simply tune in or type in holyface.org or Holy Face Devotion, and you'll find three or four very credible sites that will give you information on this. I know many of you are familiar with it. It's time for us to revisit it and make reparation to our Lord for the numerous offenses and blasphemy that he's experiencing in this time.